this is Base Layer, brought to you by Arca. I'm your host, David Nage. This is Base Layer, where institutional investors come to learn about crypto. Welcome back to Base Layer. This is David, and this is your new episode with Ronil from Audius. This is one I was really looking forward to. As many people know who have listened, I have a background in music, and it's really important to me. So Audius is building an audio distribution, attribution, and monetization platform that puts power back into the hands of audio content creators. Ronil is really interesting, too. He has an amazing background. He was most recently at Kleiner, and so he's been looking into the space for a long time, a long time obviously being five or six years because we know one year is 10 years in crypto. And so we went into some really in-depth questions about what Audius is and how it works. There's a token, and there's also um, things that are happening with stable coins. Um, there's things that are happening in terms of how they are working with decentralized storage. Um, and so there is use of IPFS. Um, and then we also talked about their governance and how they can get everything working the way that they need to, how to track and upload, um, and who is in charge of that. Um, so this is a really great conversation. This is one that I really liked, again, because empowering people, empowering content creators, and giving them the ability to potentially make more money and remove the middleman um, is something that is very interesting and one of the reasons why a lot of people got into crypto and digital assets and blockchains initially. So remember, nothing on base layer is investment advice, so please do your own research. And on the flip side, you're going to hear the conversation with Ronil. Enjoy. This is David, and this is your new episode of Base Layer. I'm really excited about this show. As everyone knows on the show, I always ask what people are listening to, and music is really important to me. And so I have Ronil with us. He is the co-founder and CEO of Audius, which is going to be marrying uh, in this discussion music and things revolving around music and also things on chain. So there's a lot of things that I care a lot about that are going to be discussed around here. So if you could give us a little bit of a background about yourself. I know you've had time at Kleiner and you've had some other stops along the way. If you could give us a little bit of background about yourself and then we'll go into what you are actually building there. Thanks for having me, David. And yeah, so I got into crypto around 2012 or so. I would say I kind of fell down the Bitcoin rabbit hole. But rewinding back a, a little bit from that, um, I really started getting into music, I would say, in the early to mid-2000s. I was a voracious collector and consumer of music. I played drums for a little while, albeit very unsuccessfully. <laughs> so it's it's cool to hear about your uh, your time working in music and, and uh, the success that you had there as well. But yeah, I came up sort of in that age of Napster and then later Oink and What.CD when uh, there were just communities of people online sharing music uh, with one another. Um, unfortunately, you know, of, of course, at that time, artists were not getting paid. Um, and uh, I would sort of find different ways to support my artists. But um, that, that was really what ignited my love for, for music. Um, and I was doing software engineering work through high school and ended up going to college at Stanford. Um, and it was at Stanford that I discovered Bitcoin and crypto more generally. I was part of this uh, liberation technology student group 
effectively we would just talk about like what are cool technologies that help give people more freedom, um, especially in oppressive regimes. So things like Tor and and other things that would let folks uh, share their speech more freely and speak more freely um, and access services they might not otherwise uh, be able to, financial services, I mean. So if you were unbanked or things like this. Um, and that was where I, I got to discover Bitcoin and really just I was really fascinated by this idea of having like a single state of the world that could be modified in a permissionless way. Um, and that led me to, I ended up mining around that time for a while. This was like 2012, 2013. I started mining altcoins and other things. Um, and then finishing school, I started a Bitcoin peer-to-peer -peer payment company with uh, a, a close friend of mine there at Stanford, uh, one of the folks who was mining. Um, and then my co-founder Forrest at Audius actually was also mining, uh, with us at the time too. So it kind of goes back to then. Um, so I was, yeah, 2014 to 2015 working on that company. It was called backslash. It was a Bitcoin peer to peer payment product. Uh, we ended up growing to about 25,000 monthly active users, but couldn't really figure out how to grow past that. Um, we were spending a lot of time with the team over at Coinbase at the time. We were considering doing this like kind of white label integration thing with uh, their exchange product to help folks um, buy and sell within our user experience. And what we learned from them and realized was that the total active market for Bitcoin at that time, Bitcoin users, was just not all that large, right? Uh, Coinbase, I think, was in the like hundreds of thousands to, to low single digit millions of, of uh, monthly active users. And for us going after that use case, we really needed more folks to be using Bitcoin. So decided to kind of walk away from that. Um, and that was how I found my way to Kleiner. Uh, so me and a couple of others co-founded Kleiner's seed practice at the time called KPCB Edge. Um, and I covered crypto and AI within that. So I got to make a few investments uh, in that time. You know, the most well-known one is probably Lightning Labs, the company that makes uh, Lightning Network on Bitcoin. Um, but then kind of got the itch to get back to building stuff again. So um, I was at Kleiner from 2015 to 2017 um, and ended up leaving summer of 2017. And uh, that, that led me to Audius. I think that's really important because you've seen a lot in that time frame. Um, and obviously Lightning has been something quite important for the Bitcoin community as an L2 uh, solution for state channels and for potentially, uh, obviously, for transactions. And so you've seen a lot. And so I think that's really important to give you context about what's happening out there. So a little bit about audience. And um, this is just about, you know, kind of what I could find. But I want, obviously, to go a little bit deeper on that. So we like to try to address the who, the what, and the why and what you're trying to fix if you're trying to fix something or if you're trying to create a new market. But Audius is building an audio distribution, attribution, and monetization platform that puts people uh, puts power back into the hands of audio content creators. And then you talk about it also being a decentralized SoundCloud. So, you know, would love to get a sense from you what some of the problems are in the legacy models that we've had to deal with 
Um, the music gen- industry generates about $43 billion in revenue, but only about 12% of that goes to content creators. I wonder if you think from your, in your kind of experience, is this a result of digitization of music? You know, with, you know, Napster coming onto the scene and with BitTorrent and some of the other kind of cases out there. You know, why do you think this is happening? So first and foremost, let's learn a little bit more about what is RDS. And then let's learn a little bit more about kind of the problems that you're trying to solve. And then we're going to go more in depth into the actual kind of under the hood. So I think the way you summarize that is is really great. Audius effectively exists to give everyone the freedom to share, monetize, and listen to anything they want. And we see the best way we're going after that is creating both a, a new layer for distribution of, and attribution of content, as well as uh, creating a first-party client experience that uh, you know looks and feels pretty similar to existing music players, but is driven by this decentralized distribution layer. So um, I, I'll get into a lot more detail of what that means, but effectively from the user perspective, we're trying to create something that looks and feels similar to what folks are used to using, but that is not controlled by or operated by any single specific individual or entity. Um, the reason we feel that's really important is looking at how our current digital music ecosystem has evolved and grown. Um, we've seen the way that things work today is roughly reflective of how things worked 50 years ago, right? And um, effectively, 50 years ago, or even 30 years ago, 20 years ago, um, when you were producing a record as an artist, in order to get that record heard by people, one, you needed a factory to, to make the thing. You needed a distribution network and retail relationships to actually get that record out into stores. And you needed some way to get discovered. And radio was the primary way that discovery happened. Um, so if you look at what what was required to happen to distribute music and to get heard, there was actually a lot there, right? And, and uh, a split, like in a typical record deal, uh, you know, 10 to 20% going to the artist and like 80 to 90 going to the label that actually kind of makes sense, right? Um, it, it, when there's so much capital investment required to produce and ship a record, um, this this makes a lot of sense. But today's music environment just doesn't reflect that anymore. Yet, um, you know, you as a DJ and producing music, um, you can distribute your music almost for free online, um, and you can. The way that discovery happens today is not via radio. It's via, um, you know, finding ways to break out, whether it's the way Lil Nas X uh, was able to create this meme around his song that brought it to the forefront of, of what a lot of folks were seeing, all the way to folks who are um, building up audiences in specific uh, niche areas of or new genres of music that then can can grow, uh, you know, continue to grow and and. Uh, uh, access broader and broader folks. So I think really it gets what we're trying to do with Audius is create an alternative path here where artists can share what they want, monetize on the terms that they choose or choose not to monetize if they don't want to, 
um, without the ability for that content to be controlled or taken away by any centralized authority, which uh, happens pretty frequently today, where um, a lot of discovery on existing music platforms is uh, is controlled by labels and by other folks. If you think about like Spotify's rap caviar playlist or their mint playlist or things like this, a lot of that um, is kind of, you know, not as, as meritocratic as you may think. Um, but artists are also frequently deplatformed, demonetized, have their content taken down, all of these things, um, you know, in, in largely arbitrary or, or seemingly random ways at times. So we just really feel that artists should have the power to make these choices. And, and that's what Audius is trying to do. Did you just reference yeah. Little Nas X and Old Town Road on my show? <laughs> just do that. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. I can't. I, I can't. I can't. I can't get away from this song. It's ridiculous. It's just like anywhere I go, when I've got two kids who listen to it, I'm like, come on, why do you? Why do you? Why? Anyway, I'm sure there are plenty of people who love it, but I'm. Uh, I, I guess I'm starting to date myself, where I'm starting to feel a little older. But uh, I guess I prefer the oldies, like Biggie Smalls. Anyway. Um, let's dig into a little bit more about what you have under the hood. So, Audius and Loud Tokens. So, common systems for accruing value, transferring value between stakeholders, and securing the protocol. So, you have a token, and apparently it's one-to-one backed by an exchangeable for third-party stable coins. So you, some of the options you mentioned include DAI, USDC, or TrueUSD. So, I'm curious, um, you know, more about that. Let's learn a little bit more about the whole kind of the, the token and the system. You know, we'll get into, you know, kind of the staking methodologies and the governance methodologies. But what I'm curious about is that with supporting of like DAI, um, which is over collateralized to ETH, that's kind of vulnerable to black swan events and volatility. So would you rather see, or is it your opinion that you rather see stable coins backed by more kind of government pegged coins or something that's a little bit more stable that might not necessarily be collateralized to something like ETH? You know, I'm just curious in terms of the token and how it's backed one to one by exchangeable, you know, for other third party stable coins. How does that all fit in? You know, is there any kind of process or any kind of underwriting that you've done on that? So, our goal. With this, we would we would characterize it as we want to allow any user to pay in whatever currency they want, and for any artist to get paid out in whatever currency they want. Um, and we can use tools like zero x relayers and and other things in the middle to kind of smooth that exchange. Right? If you want to be paid in, uh, choose your currency, and I want to pay with uh, you know die or something. Let's say, um, you know, there shouldn't be. Uh, there sh- the platform shouldn't be making those choices for the users that are interacting with it. Um, this wrapped kind of token model we describe effectively only exists to help the system keep track of who is earning how much at the protocol level for the purposes of governance and, and other things um, where voting power can be attributed to historical earnings in, uh, in tokens. So, to your specific question, um, I'm very much personally a fan of uh, you know non-fiat-backed coins. The reason being that um, they are truly 
decentralized in in most cases. Um, if you're doing a one for one, uh, you know, fiat like reserve backed uh, token, the issue that comes up is that if the U.S. government or say the Chinese government, if you had an RMB token or something, can actually compel uh, the operators of those tokens to take money back from uh, from folks who hold them. Um, and I think the we feel pretty strongly in that you know this enabling user choice should also encompass uh, protecting vulnerable users, right? Um, and, and that's why we want to support both, but ultimately it's a choice of the users uh, of what they want to use. Right. So before we get too deep into it, because I have lots of questions about the tokens and about the the kind of the cap and about the staking methodologies and about the kind of the governance and all the good stuff. But let's just say that someone who's listening here knows someone who is producing music, whether it's, you know, country music or classical music, whatever, you, you know, someone you, someone is listening and they have someone who's producing some music, we'll say, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And instead of, you know, going to or trying to go to a big label, they're going, they're using the kind of the YouTube route where they're going kind of Taylor Swift or Justin Bieber. They're going on YouTube and they're trying to get themselves kind of more PR and more visibility. And they want to use something like this. Go through, can you just walk through kind of the process, you know, from, you know, an artist who just wants, who's creating content, you know, how do they actually get on this? Of course, yes. Yeah. So we, it's a direct to artist kind of model. So you can go on uh, audius.co, you can click, you know, sign up for an account, click upload a track, upload it the same way that you would if you were interacting with, say, YouTube or SoundCloud. Um, and uh, then it's out there. You're basically uploading it to a network of decentralized nodes that are hosting it um, in, in the parlance of the white paper, this is the creator node. Um, and uh, there's a mechanism for those folks to monetize um, from their own perspective, the fact that they're operating the service. But really from a user perspective, we've, we've gone to great lengths to kind of obscure the fact that there's all the crypto stuff happening under the hood. Artists really just care about getting their content out and getting heard. And, and we're really focused on solving those problems. We see crypto as um, the best means for us to tackle these things right now. Uh, but it, it really is, you know, it's a really great question that you brought up because I, I think it's really important that this feel and look similar to uh, experiences that people are used to. Um, you shouldn't have to have a Coinbase account and have MetaMask installed and do this, that, and the other thing in order to use Audius. Right. So here's an interesting question. It's a philosophical question, but one you're going to have to obviously deal with as you grow and you scale. Some people, unfortunately, don't produce the nicest types of music. And then we get into this notion of censorship resistance, and we get into this notion of censorship. And there have been attempts, people at that, but there have been attempts um, out there where, you know, NWA was, you know, obviously putting out songs that a lot of people felt were very controversial and, you know, started to say things that were not very nice about, you know, certain 
types of enforcement. Um, and so, you know, if there was ever a time, is there, you know, obviously I have a feeling from what I sense from you in terms of a, the, the kind of the fiat backed kind of conversation, I'm getting a sense that you are probably on the side of, you know, lack of censorship, that you want this to be decentralized, that you want this to be free, and you want this obviously to empower creators. But at the same time, are, is there going to be a responsibility to make sure that, you know, bad stuff, quote unquote, air quote, doesn't get on there per se? I think the way we would, we are solving that bad stuff problem is via discovery and curation mechanisms rather than preventing it from being there entirely. I mean, I, I think that's an important distinction because um, while we feel very strongly that it, it's not the role of the means of distribution to decide what should and should not be able to be distributed. Um, and, and I think it, I'm glad you brought up uh, Biggie earlier and, and NWA now because the, that gangster rap movement was like one of the first kind of mass scale music censorship sort of uh, uh, experiences that the Western world has faced, right? Like this was something that the labels and other folks fought so hard to kind of suppress, but it just they just couldn't, right? It was like a, it was like an un, uh, un, uh, silenceable movement, um, and I think where this, uh, where we draw the distinction here is anyone should be able to share anything that they want with Audius, but as a user, you have the ability to decide based on what what other folks you follow and uh, whose playlists and other curation mechanisms you follow. Uh, based on those things, you get surfaced music that those folks are listening to and looking at and and other things. Mm -hmm. um, so it's it's kind of up to you to decide what you want to see. Um, and if you want to see everything, you can see everything. If you want to, uh, you know, if, if you're if you feel like certain types of music are offensive or what have you, you have the ability to choose not to see that, too. Right. Okay. Um, so let's go again a little bit more under the hood. So you have a, as I mentioned, you have a token. Um, it's a fixed supply of 1 billion tokens from the moment of inception. So from your token generation event, um, how did you come across 1 billion, the hard cap of 1 billion? So this is a, this is a pretty interesting one because, uh, this is actually a little bit out of date. Now we're moving towards a, uh, a model that has some amount of inflation from the original fixed model. Mm. Um, we're pretty fortunate that, um, you know, we, we never did any public token sale, anything like that. We have a very small number of investors who are super supportive of us. So we're still able to make kind of changes at this level. Um, we got actually a lot of feedback that, and, and valid feedback, uh, we believe we, you know, we took this into account and, and wanted to address it that, there were worries around the long-term sustainability of a fixed supply model um, with the token. So uh, we, we're we moving towards uh, a model, and we're actually going to update the white paper in uh, probably the next few weeks or, or so, um, where there will be a annual inflation rate, and the that inflation will be deposited into that network fee pool uh, thing that's referenced in the paper such that if you're staking and providing services in Audius, you get to earn part of that inflation. But if you're electing not to stake, um, you know, your position in the network 
is is being inflated away to some extent. So that, that's like a it's a significant change. But um, based on that, we'll actually start with kind of a pre-mine in the network of quite a bit less than a billion tokens, and that's investors. Uh, the team here, there's a reserve that the company will maintain, and then it'll be third-party service providers, you know, essentially those who are bootstrapping the network in the first few years will get to earn an outsized share of, uh, you know, there will be kind of a hyperinflationary period almost early on that will kind of settle down. Right. So, you know, getting into the, the forms of stake, so it sounds like there is a bonded proof of stake um, and obviously, correct me if I'm wrong there, but it sounds like there's a little bit of a bonded proof of stake model. But I also see that there might be a little bit of a delegated kind of proof of stake. There are obviously, you know, stakers out there. There are people that are participating, entities that are participating. That when you know an on-chain governance call may come in, they might not be able to be there, or when a block needs to be validated, they might not be there in time for that, so they can delegate. Um, so I'm curious, you know, in terms of the proof of stake models. This has just been a running narrative. I don't have an answer to this, and I don't have an opinion on this, but there seems to be some concern generally about the economics and about how people that have less capital, per se, to stake get kind of screwed in those systems. And I, I say that with a air quote. So I'm just curious what your, if you have any concerns about the economics of those models. We do, and I think what you brought up uh, is our biggest concern, which is almost... It, there are different names for it, but uh, I, I kind of like calling it the rich get richer problem. Like uh, those who enter into the network with uh, an existing large stake are, are well positioned to kind of, you know, grow and consolidate uh, power behind their stake, while folks who are coming in with a smaller amount don't have that chance. Um, so we're, we're still, this is still kind of a, this is a very active area of thinking and research for the team here. Um, we believe that there are ways that we can, uh, we're actually going to, you know, through a, co a combination of things around, uh, um, you know, one, just restricting certain insider groups from staking in the early uh, growth of the network to make it a you know, more meritocratic. Like we believe that anyone should be able to, if someone's willing to show up in the early days of Audius and help seed and build the network, there there should be a disproportionate return for that. Um, but it should be possible to do that, right? It should be possible for for you to show up with no resources pre-existing um, and be able to bootstrap your way into the network. So. That's something we've been thinking a lot about. Uh, I think your characterization there is accurate, that we're effectively a bonded proof of stake kind of model um, where there is the ability to delegate uh, voting based on your stake to other folks, as well as um, in, you know, and we're still thinking through some of the specific mechanics around this to delegate to a specific individual service provider themselves but if you do that you take on the risk of that service provider being slashed and and you losing you know part of your your position as well 
So moving into the more nuances, so Odd SP, a decentralized storage protocol built atop existing decentralized storage projects for creators to share content through the protocol, listeners to share content they have cached, and content services to monetize bandwidth by serving files through the protocol. I see you're using IPFS. It's interesting. We just had Doug from Live on, and uh, I think we'll probably try to have you guys within a week or so time period because it's interesting what you both are doing there with your respective projects. Um, and so obviously IPFS is becoming a major piece of infrastructure for decentralized systems, especially those that are dealing with large amounts of data. So I'm curious, in a, you know, in addition to IPFS, you know, again, we're using the, the kind of example. So, you know, you know, bluegrass, you know, creator of music in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, uploads that piece of music that they just created to three and a half minutes, three and a half minute file, which is fairly large. Um, and then it goes through your system. I'm curious, you know, are there, are, you know, are there any other components like a storage or SIA to facilitate large amounts of data? Are you sharding that data so other kind of validators and stakers in the network can kind of parse through it? You know, how do you kind of sift through some larger pieces, larger amounts of data to kind of get to that decentralized storage process? So I would push back actually a little bit on your characterization of that uh, that audio being a large amount. So what we're really what's actually really unique about the audio use case um, versus video and some other things is that um, you know the amount of data produced per you know per period of time with audio compared to video is like an order of magnitude smaller. Um, you know depending on your compression rates and whatnot, um, you know, a, a three minute song could be anywhere from like a few megabytes to like 10 or 12 megabytes. Um, and for that reason, we actually have felt that IPFS was really ready to serve the use case that we have because it can handle that kind of throughput. Um, whereas I think folks who are trying to use IPFS to do things like stream 4k video, let's say, um, they're having a bit of a harder time there. Um, so, I think that's actually been a really interesting thing about working on Audius. So we felt like the the development of this infrastructure was like just right for uh, going after this use case in this moment in time. Um, and I think in a few years' time, uh, IPFS will continue to mature, and especially things like Filecoin and other things will help to solve uh, some of the the throughput issues as well. Um, but yeah, with respect to storage and SIA and others, what's really fascinating to me about these is that they, they provide this really good long-term like archival backup mechanism. Um, we kind of see IPFS as like a addressing and content transmission protocol more so than a storage protocol. Like IPFS doesn't help you um main you know maintain availability of things and that's why we have the creator node in audius and some other things um but you know you're you're familiar with this i'm sure from your time as an artist like artists have their master recordings that are separate mm -hmm. from uh you know the compressed audio that's actually getting shared out on networks and those can be really big right um those can be massive like your lossless version of a given track um and a lot of artists lose those actually. Like there's so many artists we've talked to who uh, 
they don't have their lossless copies anymore. They'll literally like go rip them using those YouTube downloaders and SoundCloud downloaders from YouTube and SoundCloud to then re-upload them elsewhere. Just like the saddest thing, right? Because it's it's like their work was being, you know, to some extent is like destroyed or like the fidelity is being destroyed by this because it was like, oh, I was using an old laptop and then it crashed and I, I wasn't backing up and whatnot. So there's, I think, a really cool opportunity for us to leverage things like storage and SIA to, to provide that backup mechanism to help artists, you know, protect this, this uh, you know, their art, right, their creation. Wow, it's interesting. Yeah, and you're right. Yeah, those files can be massive. Um, I've uh, <laughs> trying to compress all that. I, I, it's funny. There was a story back in the day where I actually was working with a group of friends, um, and this is in the electronica days of my life. We actually did a track with George Clinton, and I remember, you know, my friends flew to Los Angeles to record with him, and then it came back, and then we had all these other. It was, <laughs> it was. You are correct. It is. It is a problem that has still not been solved. So uh, that would be really interesting to you know keep tabs on. So, moving towards payments and revenue sharing. So a protocol for listeners to stream content, dividing payment among rights holders, service providers, and content creators who can earn a share of revenue generated by their reposts and playlists. So you can track earnings um, or tracking earnings will be escrowed for a grace period and you have an uh, equation to do that uh, for X number amount of days after the upload after which it will be dispersed to creators in real time as payments are made listener are made by listeners. So it sounds like there's a little bit of, you know, I'm correct me if I'm wrong. And, you know, obviously I want this to be addressed. It sounds like there might be some kind of remuneration that's held on chain or off chain or on a side chain while that's all kind of processing together and kind of getting validated and verified. The escrow period is actually a very specifically targeted at uh, preventing certain types of behavior, uh, namely like piracy and, and other things. So let's say I were to go rip off like the Rolling Stones discography and stick it on Audius. Um, the reason Audius escrows my earnings for a new track for for a period of time, we're thinking like probably 30 days uh, there is, is reasonable. We've done some simulations around this, but still thinking about what the, the specific number there will land up at. Um, but anyway, there's, if, uh, if there's not an incentive for me to be able to make money by doing that behavior I described, like if I were um, to, to upload that content, uh, there's, not an incentive for me to do it. Uh, and the reason the escrow creates or removes that incentive is that it creates a challenge period. So um, during those 30 days, the actual rights holder who owns uh, the rights to the Rolling Stones work could file a claim in our arbitration system and say, hey, that's actually my content. Um, you should repoint ownership of it to me. Um, and, and I also wanted to mention if there's an active arbitration case open against a track, uh, earnings also get escrowed during that time. So effectively, as in, as the uploader of a piece of content, you're getting, you're only getting paid out in real time if there's no active challenge open against, uh, against your content. 
And so I want to just get into, there's also a component of discovery. So you talk about a protocol for a network of discovery services that index the audience blockchain and are paid by other network participants to query the data set. And it sounds like, from the reading the white paper, it sounded like there wasn't a lot of things currently that you felt at the point of time you were writing that necessarily met that and that you might have to actually build that. Can you walk us through that process or what's going on with discovery there? We've actually built uh, this already now. So we have a, uh, a working version of this that's in a beta. We have a few hundred artists on there uploading content and, and uh, you know, have, have been giving us a lot of great feedback. Um, but you hit the nail on the head there. We felt that we needed to uh, build a, a native implementation of indexing and discovery because we weren't able to find a third-party solution that met the requirements that we had. Uh, one of the hardest things we found, like when analyzing and, and looking at third-party uh, solutions, so there are a number of folks working on this and, and we're close with those teams and, and uh, we're hopeful for this part of the audience design to eventually get replaced with one of those. The biggest issue has been uh, support for full text search. So if you want to search for an artist by name, if you want to search for a track, um, none of the uh, kind of GraphQL-based indexing systems uh, really are, are able to support these kind of more, more rich queries. Um, they're really good for querying like specific relational data. Um, but when you get to things like, for example, in Audius, if you follow X number of users and those users are posting tracks and reposting things and whatnot, the homepage of Audius is a feed of all of those folks' activity, posting and reposting, playlists that they've created, things of that nature. There's not a really, without building some more bespoke querying logic, it's it's not really possible to kind of create that type of view. Um, and the alternative here, or one alternative here would actually be to have every client replicate uh, the full kind of ledger of content on Audius. Um, but, you know, we, we, uh, we felt obviously that uh, that wasn't feasible, especially, uh, you know, for end consumers, if you're on your phone, if you're on your computer and you close the app and then open it later, shouldn't take time for your uh, device to sync the history. Um, but anyway, so this discovery layer, we almost think of it like our like the API in a traditional web application. This is the thing that is kind of ingesting that ledger of content and presenting it in a way that you know, more traditionally can be interacted with from a uh, client perspective. Good. So we got a lot to learn about, and this is something in an ongoing conversation that I'm going to want to have with you, and we're going to want to keep tabs on you. But we're getting towards the top of the hour, and so I want to kind of get to know you a little bit better and have the listeners get to know you a little bit better too. So there are two areas that I would like to focus on, and I have a feeling if I ask you about music, we're going to be here for an hour because I'm sure you're listening to lots of great music, and you probably are hearing lots of great music from artists that are coming onto the platform. But reading anything that you've read recently that really resonated with you and that could be crypto or non-crypto and then of course as i said the music you know what is you know if you can name one or two things that you're currently listening to that are just inspiring you that would be great to hear 
So I think um, one of my favorite books I'm I'm in the middle of actually. So it, hard for me to call it a favorite yet, but uh, I've been really enjoying the way it's made me think so far is uh, Diamond Age by Neil Stevenson. So I I've liked a lot of Stevenson's other writing, but um, what I found really interesting about this book so far is the way it explores, um, you know, what what would the world look like if you separated kind of membership with a nation or tribe, if you will, from your physical geographic location. Um, you know, at, at some point, will what we think of as a country no longer be tied to their territorial claims uh, from a, you know, in, in a kind of geographical way, rather would be tied to some alignment with some ideology or something else. I thought that was, was just a, a really interesting kind of thought experiment. Um, but I guess that stems from like one of my favorite books of all time is uh, called The Sovereign Individual. I'm sure you've heard other crypto folks bring this up to you before. Um, it's effectively it's just a, a nonfiction book exploring like what what how will the then what will be the next mega political trend that uh, guides the way we live and organize as as humans in society and this book makes the argument that we're right now in the transition from this age of the nation state right um where prior to say the 1500s or so there were these kingdoms and uh there were monarchies that would organize like at a at a much smaller scale than today's nation states are able to organize but they make the case that we're actually witnessing like the demise of the nation state. And that uh, I found really interesting. So, you know, those two books actually kind of tie together. <laughs> and I guess that's why I've been enjoying the diamond age. Um, uh, there's, yeah, I can keep giving you more books, but those are two that come to mind right now. Um, I think, yeah, probably my, my, that sovereign individual is, is I think my, the book that's most changed my perspective on the world. I would say. And then, you know, as I said, is there an artist or is there a piece of music that you've listened to recently that is something that is really inspiring? Yeah, I've been really enjoying uh, an artist named Rez. Um, so she produces uh, a really interesting style of um, electronic music. I am struggling actually to like bucket this into some you know genre um but uh she's an amazing producer um i think also the way that she's been exploring like other ways to interact with her fan base is really cool so she did a concert in vr uh last week and and that was uh it was a really cool experience i got to you know join and and watch and listen um and there were people all over the world that were uh tuned in and getting to watch it so i'm really I, I think it's really cool to see how artists are experimenting with these new tools. Um, but I also just love her music. Um, and I, I found, you know, her music is, is uh, super interesting. She had like a crossover with uh, the lead singer from a band called Under Oath. If you were ever into like post-hardcore music in the mid-2000s. Yes. Definitely no Underworld. It was... It was really cool. I actually really liked it. And uh, it was it was just so it, like the 
clashing of two worlds that I really enjoyed both of that I like never expected to cross over. Um, and then the other artist that comes to mind for me, and I, I know, you know, some people will give me uh, uh, some grief over this is Marshmallow. Um, I think, yes, a lot of people think Marshmallow is sold out in and all this stuff, right? I think the way that, um, I, I mean, I can't even call it he because it's really they. It's like, a, you know, this is a brand This is more so than an individual. The way they have innovated on this genre of future bass he started out in and, and been able to draw from like a really broad set of influences has been really inspiring to me. Um, and I, I think his music's pretty sweet too. So, um, yeah. Yep. And so we're going to be catching up with you again. Uh, I want people to find out more about Audius. They can go to audius.co and find out more about the project and about what Roniel and everyone else is doing there. We're going to be catching up with you again in a few months, you know, see how some of the changes that you're making there go. And uh, this was great. A great conversation with you and I really enjoyed it. Hope to be talking to you again soon. Likewise. Thanks so much for having me. For more notes from this past episode about our guest, please go to www.ar.ca slash baselayer. Nothing stated on this podcast should be taken as investment advice, which would require a thorough assessment of each investor's personal financial profile and risk tolerance. Statements regarding past performance are not necessarily indicative of future returns. If you like what you're listening to on Baselayer, let us know. Subscribe, give us a like, or hit us up on Twitter, Arca at Arca, or myself, David Nage at DavidJN79. Let us know, and we'd love to obviously hear from you. For additional resources to help sophisticated listeners like yourself learn about the digital asset space and the financial terms you understand, please visit www.ar.ca for articles, marketing commentary, videos, and more.